welcome everybody another episode of the luke talik podcast and today i want to talk a bit about nutrient timing but before i get there just another quick plug for the membership site fitness fundamentals you can find it at lukeTalik.com slash membership and basically i go into a lot further depth of all the things i talk about on my social media on the podcast etc so check it out it's cheap it's got a trial you can't lose all right so we're going to jump into nutrient timing now it has a few different components when i think nutrient timing i think of a few different things the first thing that springs to mind is generally how many meals we should each eat each day the other thing i think about is when we should be having specific macronutrients where should we position protein carbs and fat and especially how we can position that around the training window. The other thing that I also think about, which I don't think I'll touch in this podcast because it might go on a little bit too long, is something around nutritional periodization and how you might spread food out throughout a week or longer period than that. I think that'll start getting a little bit longer in the tooth by the time we get to that, so maybe we'll save that for another podcast. Okay, now... There's a couple of different things we need to consider here because people's goals are going to be different, which does change how we view nutrient timing. Obviously, we have the two main goals of probably most people listening to this podcast, which is fat loss and muscle gain or even strength gain. Now, most of the research I have to say in this area is done on endurance training. And so I'm sure some of you who are listening may be endurance athletes or even a team sport or something like combat sports, in which case nutrient timing is actually highly relevant. So I'll try and make a reference to each of those three areas in talking about all of this stuff. So fat loss, strength or muscle gain, and then general performance for sports like combat sports, team sports, or any endurance sports like running, for example. In terms of resistance training, there's not a whole lot of research on this in terms of timing nutrients around the workout, but I'll get to that. The first thing I want to talk about is how many meals we should be eating per day. Now for fat loss, it's really straightforward. Nutrient timing is mostly unimportant for fat loss. So essentially we'd expect to see similar results from pretty much any meal setup, provided the macronutrients are the same for that day. During fat loss phase, we still obviously want to retain muscle. So I think protein timing could start to come into play there. But on the whole, if we have the same macronutrients spread out throughout the day in any number of meals, I don't think you're going to see a massive difference. So it does come down then to something that is sustainable and something that suits your lifestyle. Some people really like to engage in intermittent fasting, for example, because they find it's easier for them to stick to their diet plan that way. That's fair enough, you can totally do that. You could eat one or two meals a day. You could have a specific eating window. You could eat five or six meals a day. It doesn't seem to matter very much for fat loss. What I would recommend is finding something that is both practical and enjoyable for you and sustainable in the long run. And that's really gonna be the best possible thing you can do for fat loss. And then you're just focusing on keeping your energy balance and macronutrient ratios, like specifically protein, in the right zone for that. And I speak a bit more about what numbers you should be using in some of my other podcasts. 
The next thing I want to specifically address, because I know I'm going to get questions about this, is intermittent fasting. Does fasting have any specific advantage compared to other calorie restricted methods? At this point, I would say that no, it doesn't. However, that could change with further research being done. Any research done on longevity or immune benefits or anything along those lines is seen in the animal model and has not been specifically demonstrated in humans at this point. That may still come. There may be a, an aggregation of evidence that eventually sort of points us in a certain direction in terms of the balance of evidence available. But at this point, aside from ensuring compliance and aside from helping us to control calories, fasting doesn't seem to offer any specific benefit outside of those things. But it's still really viable. It's something that I use myself. In fact, I personally use a combination of intermittent fasting and some loose tracking when I'm trying to lose fat because I just find it's easier to stick to my allocated macronutrient targets if I do a little bit of intermittent fasting. It just suits my day, basically. Now, another thing you could do is a full day of fasting or maybe even two full days of fasting or something like that throughout a week. Now, I know I said I wouldn't talk too much about trying to set up a periodized dieting plan throughout a week or longer, but I think this serves a bit of a purpose here because if you did a full day of fasting, you can generate a weekly deficit quite easily. So if you're missing one out of seven days of calories, you are generating a 14% deficit for the week if you eat at maintenance for the rest of the week. You could do that and then you could spend the rest of the days in a mild deficit or at maintenance and that could be an easy way to set up a weekly deficit without having to diet very hard on most days of the week. So that's something that you could consider. I think it has some other unique benefits in the fact that it can help decouple you from hunger cues. I often describe hunger cues as being either an actual physical hunger wherein you, you actually need food and a psychological hunger where perhaps you're bored or you just have the habit of eating at a certain time but you don't actually require any incoming nutrients at the time and most people are in that latter camp but by engaging in something like a 24-hour fast or longer you start to become more sensitive to those hunger cues and you start to learn how to deal with being hungry which i think is actually a skill that you can develop and it can be quite helpful I've certainly been in the situation in the past where I've felt a little bit uh, irritable or hangry, I suppose, um, or a little bit panicky that, oh, shit, I'm losing muscle or something when I feel hungry and I just feel unable to deal with it, uh, which leaves you feeling a little bit restricted in what you can and can't do and what you can and can't eat. Whereas having experimented a bit with longer periods of fasting of sort of 24 to 36 hours, you do tend to find that you obviously eliminate that option of eating, which helps you deal with that a little bit better because you're practicing going without food and being hungry at times. So I think that's a little bit of a benefit too. But let's move on to muscle gain. So how many meals a day for muscle gain? I think ideally what you want to do is be in the sweet spot of something like between three to six meals a day. If you do too few meals, it means you're kind of missing out on anabolic opportunities. And I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that. Whenever you eat protein, you are sending a signal to the protein synthetic machinery in your muscles to start building more muscle tissue. And what will happen is that protein synthesis happening in the muscle will ramp up, it'll reach a peak, and then it will ramp down again. So it shows this curve. 
Now, that curve, that rising of protein synthesis and the subsequent return back down to baseline takes approximately four or five hours, which means that during our waking hours, we have three to four uh, periods in which we can go through that entire cycle of raising muscle protein synthesis and letting it return back down to baseline before stimulating it again. That means that three to four meals of protein is probably going to be an ideal situation for stimulating muscle protein synthesis. Now, I know there's research out there showing that there's not a whole lot of difference provided your total daily intake is of a certain amount. So if, if you're supposed to eat 160 grams of protein a day, the research will probably point to the fact that you know, if you're eating that in two meals, three meals, four or five or six meals, it doesn't really matter provided you're hitting that total daily intake. However, I think if you're at this point where you're looking at nutrient timing and you're looking to optimize it, you should have already gone past the point of eating an appropriate amount of energy, getting the macronutrient split correct, getting the right source of your macronutrients so that you're also getting some nice micronutrient content as well. And you're now at a point where having mastered all of that, you're maybe looking for a few advantages that you can take out of meal timing. To me, the other stuff is definitely the priority. So total intake is by far the highest priority. But if you've got that down pat and it's pretty straightforward and you're doing that consistently day in and day out, I think that this might be an area where you may be able to gain an extra 5% out of your diet. And it's pretty simple to do. I don't think eating three to four meals a day uh, instead of like two meals a day is really much of an ask if you're looking to specifically build muscle. Now that's one part of it. So you're getting this nice stimulation of muscle protein synthesis equally throughout the day. So ideally what you would do is you would split up your protein evenly between that. So again, with my example of 160 grams a day, I'd be eating say three or four meals of 40 to 55 grams of protein in each of those meals to get my total for the end of the day. Now, the other part of it is just that eating in a surplus regularly is very difficult. And if you're only trying to eat three or four meals a day or two, three, four meals a day, it's really difficult to get in that volume of food in those meals because you just feel full and sick and it's difficult. I've said before, I think that consistently eating in a surplus is tougher than consistently being in a deficit. And the reason why is because there's nothing worse uh, from my personal experience than being full and not wanting to eat and having to choke down another meal of like rice and protein. It just sucks. So spreading out those meals equally makes it much more manageable to consistently do that. Now you can also eat too frequently. I think there has been a few recommendations in the past and like the eighties and nineties where people were talking about eating six to eight meals a day. And I think that that's too frequent. Um, firstly, because it's unnecessary. But secondly, eating too close together means that you never get that protein synthesis back down to baseline again, um, meaning that you don't quite hit the same peak again. So there's a refractory period after you've stimulated muscle protein synthesis, it hits a peak and then it comes back down again to baseline. If you're trying to stimulate muscle protein synthesis again after it's already hit the peak but hasn't yet returned to baseline, it's not going to get up to that peak again. It's not going to go higher. It's not going to go back up to that peak. You get a dampened response. Now, I don't really think that's such a big issue because whenever we eat, all of those amino acids are not hitting the bloodstream at once. They are secreting across the intestinal wall slowly over the day. So we're never really in what we call a post-absorptive state. We're mostly in a postprandial state. In other words, what happens is we eat our meal 
and it gets digested and that isn't an instantaneous process. So the food will sit in our gut and it will slowly be broken down and secrete across the intestinal wall. It'll go to the liver and the liver will distribute those nutrients to the rest of the body. And a mixed meal of a reasonable size might take three to four hours to be completely processed and distributed. Meaning that we're always gonna have some of that amino acid content sort of drip feeding into the blood throughout that process. And typically by then we will have eaten another meal. So these meals are constantly overlapping. So, you know, take this all with a bit of a grain of salt. We're not digesting everything and distributing it immediately. So it's unlikely to be sort of all hitting our muscles at once, but I still think having six to eight meals a day is just not practical in the first place. And in the second place, it's possible that you may be limiting the peak of muscle protein synthesis you can reach because of that refractory period. So I hope that addresses the question in advance of how much protein we can actually absorb per meal. So it's this uh, issue of there's no limit to how much we can absorb per meal. It's just an issue of time. It's obviously going to take time to digest, absorb and distribute all of those nutrients from a meal. A larger meal will simply take longer to digest, absorb and distribute than a smaller meal. There's no amount of protein that we're eating that is not being absorbed unless we're actually <laughs> getting it come out the other end. So if you're shitting out your protein, then yeah, you're not absorbing it. But in most cases, that's not going to be happening. So I wouldn't worry about it. Okay, so let's move on to how we should eat around the workout. Now, again, the research here is pretty sparse when it comes to resistance training. Most of the research is using carbohydrate specifically for endurance training performance. So with that said, I am going to start with protein and not carbohydrate and talk about why we might want to have some protein before training. We want a continuous supply of amino acids in the blood because this exerts an anti-catabolic and a pro-anabolic effect. Again, it stimulates the protein synthetic machinery in the muscle cells. And so it helps facilitate recovery. It helps facilitate protein synthesis and muscle growth. Now, based on what I just said before, where our meals are constantly overlapping and we're not instantly absorbing all of this protein that we eat, Timing is not the primary concern, provided we're getting a decent amount of protein in the meals that precede training. Um, so our digestion process is going to continue to drip feed amino acids into the bloodstream in the hours after a meal. So if you're eating like one, two or three hours before a training session, there's going to be protein or amino acids available to the system regardless. So not much of an issue in terms of pre-exercise protein. You don't have to specifically go out of your way. The one situation where I think this might be an issue is if you're training first thing. So if you train first thing in the morning, most people don't really have much of an appetite or they don't really want to eat too much because they're going to go straight to the gym. So what I would recommend in that case is to either have a small amount of protein so that you just have some amino acids around. And that could be in the form of like, you know, a small cup of cottage cheese or like, I don't know, a kanga banger, one sausage, something like that. It's like 10 or 20 grams of protein, right? The other thing you could do is just have a shake then. So that's really nice and easy. A whey protein shake is essentially just like water um, with a bit of protein in it. You could drink that in the morning as soon as you get up. You could drink it on the way to the gym. You could even drink it as you start your session and do your warm up and actually start training. So it's pretty easy to get some protein in at that point. And that leads us into uh, carbohydrate before the training session. 
for resistance training, we typically don't need that much carbohydrate because we don't burn through that much energy during a resistance training session. Now, the energy systems used during resistance training are definitely glycogen dependent. So they use glucose. They're mostly anaerobic in nature. It's high intensity exercise, right? But the thing is, is that we don't burn too much of that and we have stored glycogen in our muscles anyway. So you don't specifically need to be consuming carbohydrate before your training session. I personally actually find that my training sessions, especially the high volume ones, tend to do pretty well when I have a little bit of carbohydrate beforehand. I just feel less fatigued and I feel pretty good if I do that. But if I had to go without, I'm not too fussed about it. I don't feel that much difference. So you can experiment with that and see how you feel. In terms of during training carbs, there's quite a large body of evidence that supports carb supplementation during exercise that's over two hours in duration. But most of us are not training for that long. Um, and if you are and you're listening to this, you might be a power lifter or a strength athlete. And the only reason your sessions are going over two hours is because you spend most of your time sitting down in between sets. So we're not talking about that. We're talking about like tough training sessions where you're not resting very much, like a cardio session or um, you know maybe a high volume bodybuilding session with short rest periods that go over two hours in duration. In that case, I would be looking at supplementing carbs during the workout. Um, I mean, you could even eat some if you wanted to, but I'm not sure many people want to eat during a training session. But certainly having something like a glucose gel or a Powerade or whatever form of carbohydrate you want during the session might be warranted in that case. But I think that's going to not be a majority of people listening to this. If you're training for like about an hour in duration, which is probably what most of us are doing, there's only mixed evidence of benefit. Um, higher intensity training has seen both no effect and a mild benefit in that case. I personally don't think it's really necessary for most people, but again, you can experiment with it. Now, post-workout, what we wanna do is we wanna provide some protein there um, for a couple of reasons. The first thing that we wanna do is just have the protein present so that our muscles can use the amino acids there to initiate muscle protein synthesis and have the amino acids around presence to build muscles out of. So that again helps facilitate the recovery process and it helps us ensure that we are synthesizing protein as soon as possible in a period that is sensitive because we've just stimulated the muscle through other means, we've potentially damaged it through training. The second part is, an, is a hormonal part. So this is having to do with insulin. The hormone insulin has both anti-catabolic, so it prevents muscle breakdown, and it has anabolic effects. It helps build up tissue too. Now, both protein and carbohydrate will effectively raise insulin, and the more easily absorbed the meal, the higher the insulin will rise. So think like simple sugars and simple proteins or easily digestible proteins like a shake would be more effective at raising insulin than something like brown rice and like a steak or something like that. But, but there's a big but here, a large spike in insulin is absolutely not necessary to maximally stimulate protein synthesis. So there's a ceiling to how much insulin can rise before we've maximally stimulated protein synthesis. And if you keep pushing insulin past that point, you don't get more protein synthesis. So there's no point in trying to push insulin as high as it can possibly go. Whole foods will achieve this level of insulin to maximize muscle protein synthesis. Even a moderate dose of protein by itself will achieve the amount of insulin you need to maximally stimulate muscle protein synthesis. So there's absolutely no need to have a protein shake 
There's absolutely no need to have any sort of carbohydrate immediately post-workout. There's absolutely no need to have both of them. I know a lot of people will slam like a huge amount of carbohydrate in simple sugar form along with their shake post-training. And don't get me wrong, if you prefer to do that and if you like doing that and you want to do that, then by all means go ahead and do it. Doesn't bother me at all. But you don't have to do it. You don't have to have a shake. You don't have to have carbohydrates immediately after training. I think the best thing to do is to make sure that you are getting in some food in a reasonable time window after your training. Just make sure that that meal after training has some protein in it. And at some point throughout the rest of the day, you should be eating some carbohydrate to replenish your stored glycogen in the muscle. And that's pretty much all you need to know. The amount of time post-workout that the anabolic window extends is actually fairly long. So we used to think, you know, within half an hour, you have to get in some protein and possibly some carbohydrate to maximize the muscle, the muscle protein uh, synthetic response, just to make sure that we're getting the most out of our training session and making sure we recover. The evidence suggests that that window does exist, but it's much longer than what we think. Now, it's gonna depend on what your prior nutrition was like. So if you haven't eaten anything before training, you have no amino acids in your bloodstream, you haven't stimulated insulin yet at all before that training session, then I think the post-workout meal is of quite high importance and it's fairly urgent to get that in within like 45 minutes or an hour after training, or as soon as possible, really. However, if you've eaten an hour or two before training, you've included some carbohydrate, you've included some protein in that meal, again, that's still gonna be sitting in your gut and some of that is still gonna be secreting across the gut into your bloodstream. So in that case, I think you could take an hour or two before you ate your next meal and you should be totally fine and you shouldn't notice too much difference between that and eating immediately after the workout. For myself, I think a really easy way of doing things is to simply have a protein shake after training. I tend to have a protein shake maybe once a day or maybe once every two days anyway, just to help bump up my total protein intake. It's really convenient, it's really cheap to get a high quality source of protein in. And so if I'm gonna take it anywhere, I'm gonna have it after the training session and I'm gonna have it within like half an hour of finishing. So to me, that's a simple no brainer it may not have a whole lot of support, but again, it's just something that if it did end up making a difference, it's a really simple, easy thing to do. You're not losing out on anything. I think most people are probably in that situation where they're gonna be eating either their breakfast or their first meal of the day um, or having a protein shake uh, within that sort of one hour period of training anyway. So, you know, just stick to doing that and I think you're probably covering your bases. But again, it's not super urgent unless you've trained fasted or you haven't had very much protein before the training session anyway. And that goes for both fat loss situations and muscle building situations because in both cases, we're trying to maximally stimulate muscle protein synthesis. There's no difference between those two. We're really just trying to maximally stimulate muscle protein synthesis. Okay, so, so far we're basically saying you can eat as many meals as you like every day, whatever feels best for you. If you're looking to gain muscle, it's probably best to spread your protein out over three to four meals at least throughout the day. 
in terms of training, what we're trying to do is just make sure that we sandwich the workout with nutrients as our optimal strategy. We want to get in a little bit of protein and carbohydrate on either side of the workout. A really simple way of building a meal out of this is to take your body weight in kilograms and use that as a reference point for how much protein you should get in. So I like to have both the pre-workout meal and the post-workout meal have at least 0.5 grams per kilogram of body weight in protein. And usually I will have that pre-workout meal within two hours before training, and then I'll eat again within about an hour after training and get in at least that amount of protein. So I'm nearly 100 kilos, so I aim for about 45 to 50 grams of protein both in the meal prior to training and in the meal after training. If you want to work out how much that is in pounds, it's 0.23 grams per pound of body weight. If you're eating carbs, you can go with a similar ratio. You can also go with 0.5 grams per kilogram of body weight or 0.23 grams per pound of body weight. And of course, you can eat higher numbers than that if you prefer, no problem at all. Those are kind of just a good little number to aim for if you want to. Now for endurance, team sports, combat sports, I'd probably make sure that the recommendations are essentially the same, but prioritize that carbohydrate intake. At least half your weight in kilograms is should be coming from carbohydrates, both prior to the training and after the training to help facilitate recovery. Um, you can go with a little bit more than that if you think that it is of benefit. I would just experiment with it and see, but certainly having some more carbohydrate in there is going to be of benefit for team sports, combat sports, endurance sports in general. But it does depend on the nature of the training. Like if you're just doing a skills session uh, with BJJ or something like that, you probably don't really need the carbohydrates. If you're doing a shorter run, like a recovery run, that's maybe like 45 minutes or something, you probably don't need the carbohydrates. But if you're doing a lot of rolling, if you're doing like preseason training for any team sports like rugby, rugby league, AFL, whatever it is, then I would definitely be having those carbohydrates in there. And I'd probably push it uh, as high as your digestion can tolerate prior to the training just to help support that training bout. And then fuel up again afterwards. It doesn't have to be super urgent. You just want to make sure that you've replenished the carbohydrate that you've burned off during that session by the time you train next, which is probably going to be in 12 to 24 hours. So it's not an urgent thing to replenish it. You just want to make sure you do get some carbohydrate in there after the training session. Now, you've probably noticed at this point, we haven't spoken about fat whatsoever, and there's a pretty good reason for that. Essentially, eating fat doesn't provide you any major benefit around training at all. There is little hormonal response. There's no uh, performance uh, improvement from eating fat before or after the training session. So I just kind of stick to whatever fat would naturally come with those meals that I recommended before anyway. It's not going to hinder your gains in any way. It obviously will slow down the digestion of the foods that you're eating a little bit because there's more stuff in there to digest. So if you feel that your meals prior to training are a little bit too heavy, you might want to go on the lower fat side. Um, but other than that, it's really not going to make too much of a difference either way. There's no evidence suggesting that fat has any meaningful effect on training performance and even things like uh, fat supplements or like MCT oil or ketones or anything like that. The research as a whole does not currently support their use as an acute ergogenic aid, so I wouldn't worry too much about it. I'm not going to go into things like fat adaptation and whatnot in this podcast because it's starting to get a little long, but essentially we don't need to worry too much about fat, either removing it or purposely going after it, I wouldn't worry either way. I would just go with whatever fat comes along for the ride with your meals. 
So basically pick a reasonable number of meals each day. If you currently eat a particular number, just stick with that to start with so that you reduce the friction as much as possible in setting up a new diet. Spread your protein out more or less evenly over those meals. So we're having roughly three to four equal servings of protein throughout the day, ideally, but it doesn't matter as long as you're hitting your total protein target for the day. Um, and other than that, you wanna just make sure that you're sandwiching your workout with protein and especially some carbohydrate if you're doing some endurance sports or team sports. And that's basically nutrient timing in a nutshell. Hope that's been helpful. If it has, please share this with somebody. I would really appreciate that. Make sure you check out the membership site, luketalk.com slash membership and keep up to date with everything I'm doing over on Instagram at underscore luketalk. And I also have a blog now, by the way. So you can go to luketalk.com slash blog and read about some stuff. It's a nice outlet for me because I can go into things in a longer format than I can on social media. All right, thanks very much for listening and I'll catch you in the next one. Thank you.